figure out. Oh no, he was dead the whole time. So there's shots of me, like, pouring gas, but there's no vehicle there. Oh yeah. It's just pouring up, and then flying along the highway, like two feet above the ground, just my body. Oh yeah, okay. Because there's no, uh, it, the, the ghost, the car was a ghost the whole oh, time. It's like Wonder Woman's Invisible Plane. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a ghost car. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's begin. Oh. Welcome to. Uh, I love this. You should too. It's a, a podcast. podcast. Uh, my name is Indy. I'm Samantha. And we are going to be talking about the Sixth Sense today. Which I have now seen. I can check that off the list of pop culture that I missed in the early 2000s. All right. In case you are just joining us, well, there's only been one other episode, so really you should just go back and listen to that, honestly. Yeah, it's quick. It's like 25 minutes. Go do it. And um, so how it works is uh, Samantha had never seen The Sixth Sense. And I know a lot of people haven't seen it, but it's unique because she didn't know anything about the big ending. Yes. um, Also, for all of these podcasts... Um, it's a spoiler zone, so if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense, go see it. It's It's been a lot of years. It's what, have came you been in... living under a rock? Yeah, well, you just saw it. Well, I was living under a rock. That's true. But um, <laughs> go watch it, because we're going to give it away, including the big ending, which I assumed everyone ev- already knew, even if they hadn't seen it. The only thing I knew was the I See Dead People thing. Yeah. And, like, I didn't even know that there was a second part to that line. So, before we even get into whether you like this movie or not... Kay. The ending. Did it get you? Were you surprised or did you see it coming at some point? I was very surprised, actually, Uh because they didn't like they didn't foreshadow as much as I thought a movie like this would. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't like expecting a big ending. I kind of thought like that it was just going to be. And that's the best way to go into any any movie, like going into it without expectations, because I think. We'll get into it later, but I think that's why a lot of people started really hating on Shyamalan over the next few movies after this is because they want that twist ending, but they also, like, people really feel like they're smart. They're like, oh, I, I called it. And I was like, yeah, but it's not about calling the ending. So, it's way more fun to not try to and then get surprised by it. Yes. So, The Sixth Sense. Yes. It's a pretty solid movie. Yes. I like it. But M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. Makes a lot of duds. Is this yeah. why he gets to make bad movies? Is because he did one good one? I would argue he's done a few good ones, but uh, that's just me. <laughs> I was one of his defenders that stuck around for a long time, but uh, there's been a few that I really disliked. I hear people are liking him a lot more now because he's getting more into like a straight-up genre horrors, which is good. I've heard that his new one... Glass? Yeah, is, uh, it's pretty good. Oh, I'll check it out. So I brought this movie to you saying that it's uh, that it's great. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? I thought it was good. It wasn't slow to get started. There's like action in the first like probably five to ten minutes. And they don't spend a lot of time like setting up the characters. You kind of get to know them as stuff's happening. So I liked it. Good. I, I think it's funny that you say that they um, that it was quick paced because although like I agree I love the pacing of the movie my concern was that it's so much slower paced than any than most movies today especially something that you would consider a horror or something that has ghosts in it oh absolutely it's um it's paced like a uh, like a drama 
Yes, which I think I liked because the reason I don't watch a lot of horror movies is because I hate that big scare Mm -hmm. and I hate the anticipation leading up to it. So like, you know, small-ish woman walks through creepy house like and you just can feel all the scariness like starting to build and starting to build and starting to build and then like something happens and everyone jumps. Yeah. But you're already like really anxious about it because you know something's coming whereas in this one there wasn't a lot of that which I liked. Yeah, I think horror movies that do that they play on the conventions and audience expectations to uh to manipulate you and to get that that scare mm-hmm. and Shyamalan definitely does that but I think the way he employs it is a lot more a lot more subtle and to a better end than right. those characters um, in this one he doesn't really rely on the jump scare too often there's a couple of them but there's I there's a few I think it's it didn't feel manipulative no no and and you didn't know it was coming yeah and when he manipulates you it's it's not so he can trick us into believing Bruce Willis is alive. That's the, in case you haven't seen it. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, but it's... Let's just say it. Bruce Willis is a ghost. He was a ghost, ghost the, the whole time. time. Okay. Now and that I we've ruined it for you. He does <laughs> trick you, essentially, into believing he's alive. But I would argue that more he uses the cinematic conventions to get you to see the world through Bruce Willis's eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. And th- sure, that's manipulative in- to some extent, but I-, I feel much better about being tricked in a way like that. Yes, yeah. Because you're along for the journey. It's not at your expense. It's mm-hmm. not like a gotcha. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that um, not figuring it out early on in the movie was nice because you got to like really understand the movie and the characters and everything and then suddenly you're like how could i have missed that like yeah the boy literally says and lots of times they don't know their dad mm-hmm. to bruce willis who is dead and should like, we do you want to get into all of that kind of stuff right now no no okay let's do this well, first okay, yes yeah, and then we'll go I'm getting right ahead into of that. myself so yeah. first what's your what was your favorite part of this movie i have two all right. I have like the sweetest part of the movie is like when she's sitting watching or sleeping and watching their uh, wedding video. Oh, Bruce Willis's wife. Wife, yeah. Right. I um, forget that actress's name, but yeah, Bruce Willis's wife. Yeah, and she's like, "I miss you," and then oh, yeah. this is like when the big reveal is happening. But it's so sweet; it's such a sweet moment because like yeah. the wedding video is on, and she's like holding his ring, and then she drops it, and like yeah. he realizes he's dead. <laughs> but and it's that that ring was was a great use because you never see Bruce Willis's left hand throughout the movie. The entire movie. Well, he's definitely not wearing a ring for the whole thing. So you think, he's married. Why isn't he wearing a ring? But they never show it. And it's special because she sells jewelry. Yes. And she would definitely have a ring. She has that line about, like, the jewelry holds on to something from the person. Remember that? And then she's holding on to that ring the whole time. That was was a nice touch. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan, one of my other favorite things, was how he kind of misdirected the viewer into thinking that she's having an affair. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, how that, like, she obviously isn't. She's, like, trying to move on. Yeah, and um, having a real hard time. And having it, a really hard time. Yeah. But it kind of looks like she's having an affair. Right. When you think that he's alive. Yeah, and even if if he were alive and she were having that affair, you also don't, 
she's not played as like some sort of villainous character. No. You're like, I get where she's coming from. They're mm. having a real hard time. Well, and he's never home and yeah. he's like, yeah. But then you, you like see the ending and like that montage of clips from the movie. Yeah. And you're like, how could I have not have known? He like <laughs> says he's having trouble keeping track of time and like she like again do we want to get into all that now no no okay sorry i keep (laughs) i keep backtracking (laughs) so that those are your two favorite things i think my favorite part definitely is that was is the relationship between Haley joel osmond and tony collette his mom yeah the two of them together were fantastic and i think of all the great stuff in this movie i think the best scene is when um what's his name cole Haley joel osmond's character tells his mom finally yes. what's going on and the two of them in the car her reaction is just amazing mm-hmm. and uh, both of those two were nominated for oscars really? for this movie for best supporting actor and best supporting actress did they win neither of them oh. won. um i bet something like i know Hilly joel osmond that year well, Pearl Harbor did not do well. <laughs> um, Haley Joel Osment uh, was up against great competition. I remember looking at the list of people that year, and it was nuts. And Michael Caine ended up winning. For, oh, okay. I can't remember who won against Tony, Tony Collette, but they were both great and well-deserved Oscar nominations. Yeah, she was like a mess, but she was also a very responsible, loving mom. I loved the family life of this mm-hmm. movie because she's definitely... Not upper class, middle, lower class, somewhere in there. Yeah. A a working mom. But anytime you see like a single working mom in a movie, they either have like inexplicable wealth Mm -hmm. or they are played as um, like they're just destitute. And all of this seemed much more grounded in reality. Like It's true. She's very capable. She's making things work. And the fact that she can't communicate with her with her child is what's tearing her apart. Yeah. And she's working these extra jobs, but it's never used as a ploy of like, poor her, look at all these jobs. It's just like, no, she's making this work. She's doing this all. Yeah, she's doing what she has to do to like provide for her son. Yeah. I also loved uh, how she's like styled and her wardrobe. Yes. Because there's so many points and I was like, who picked that out? But then you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. That's she's what, like normal people wear. She has like... She's busy. She has a lot to do. She doesn't look like she looks great. I'm not no no offense to her, no, but she her doesn't look like a, a model in every scene. No. She looks like a mom, and she that's like great. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, initially when Shyamalan was talking about the movie, he said it was like a mix between um, The Exorcist and Ordinary People. Ordinary People is a uh, like very much a uh, drama about people. If that is not too uh, too big of a it's of a big. genre, um, it's it's about relationships. Okay, and that's what I think the strength of the movie oh, is. Oh, it's very much just it about comes down to that, and everything. This whole movie, it's about communication more than anything. Yeah, like Tony Collette even said that she didn't really think it was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, this is a movie about people trying to talk to each other, and that's that's what it is. That's Absolutely. what the sixth sense is. Like, Bruce Willis is trying to get uh, Cole to talk to his mom. His mom wants him to talk. And Cole is trying to get all these ghosts to, after a while, to communicate with him so mm-hmm. he can so he can help them out. So what was your least favorite part of the movie, then? How little screen time the puppy got. Oh, yeah, that's true. I want to just see a movie about him. Well, yeah. Puppy movie. Okay, for real, though, um, I think the adult man in briefs 
with a gun. Oh, Donnie Wahlberg. Is that Donnie Wahlberg? That's Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block. He lost like 40 pounds or something to play this. And this part I'm not sure sure about, but I thought I remembered in like when the movie came out, him talking on a talk show about doing this and how he got so method with it. He was just like acting like a crazy person and sleeping out in the park overnight and like really getting into it. But oh, man. Those like, what's he have? Maybe two minutes of screen time? Yeah. He, he gets all he everything does. out of it. He seriously creeped me out. Yeah. And I think any grown man in like tidy whitey briefs. They weren't even tight. They were, like, loose and safe. And so dirty. And so dirty. It was just unsettling. Yeah, yeah. I think any grown man in those would be. Yeah. And standing in someone else's bathroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I, I think that that whole scene wasn't my favorite. Oh, not your favorite in that it didn't work for you or you just didn't like how it made you feel? It didn't work for me. Oh, see, I thought that scene was fantastic. So I loved how... The gun comes out at the end and it's just to shoot Bruce Willis and then shoot himself. They didn't make it um, like he has a gun on them the whole time to raise yeah. the stakes. They let things happen. And I think his character, it, it sets up so much because he has the, you notice his hair? Yeah. He has the white hair yeah. like uh, like Cole has. Yes. They, so you know there's something with them. He the is them. very and the much scratches that, a small child in a man's body. Donnie Wahlberg? Yeah. Like, that's what they really play him as. Oh, interesting. Because I very much like if you put Cole, I mean, obviously he's a child, in Tidy Whitey's. Yeah, and which they do later. Gave him a gun. Right. I feel like there would be like... And I think Cole is like an adult in a child's body. Oh, absolutely. So well, that's funny. Yeah. So hmm. I was very unsettled by just how creepy and unsettling... Donnie Wahlberg was. Yeah. And how um, just like odd a situation that is. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I don't like that scene. Yeah. And the fact that it's it's a home invasion too. That's that's creepy. So it's already like very, very um, like fear inducing. Yeah. Because I feel like I that's one of the things I fear most is like someone barging in with a gun and like in the place where you're supposed to feel safe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think my least favorite part then is there's some of the shot composition I do not care for. Shyamalan's done two movies by this point. This was, of course, his big breakthrough. Right. But I feel like there's some shots where he's, I don't know, trying too hard, trying to maybe pay homage to some movie that I, I didn't get the reference. But when there's... um, I like how... It's not lit like a horror movie. No. If you see a shot from this movie, you would think it's a, a drama about a family. Yeah. But every now and then he'll go with like a crazy Dutch angle. Um, do you know a Dutch angle? No, I don't. So a Dutch angle is a, uh, a when the camera is purposely askew, it's everything's kind of diagonal. Okay, it's used yeah. in horror movies a lot and kind of makes you feel unsettled because yes, everything it's is all over the place. And yeah. So then he would throw one of those in and it just doesn't match in with the rest. Yeah. And then sometimes it would get really high angle and sometimes it'd get really low angle. And I get that he went to film school and you know that those shots invoke certain emotions. But I just feel like if you're playing everything else so uh, so straightforward, mm-hmm. so dramatic to throw those in here and there, it, I didn't like a bunch of them. I think it's filmed very much like Law and Order or like, yeah. like a gritty kind of like crime drama. Yeah. 
And I think I like that because it doesn't it doesn't force anything. Mm-hmm. It allows all the um, like all the fear, all the emotion to come through from the characters and from the script, and it doesn't it doesn't tell you what to think too much. No. Which no. I think he gets guilty of later, perhaps, in, in his think, career. I think, oh, in his career, yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things I don't like about horror, is it does force a lot of emotions on you, yeah. and suddenly you're very much, like... It's draining. It's draining, yeah, yeah. And you just don't feel good after. And I think that's why I flock towards more, like, funnier, upbeat movies. Because yeah. you tend to leave feeling a little bit, like, lighter and happier, and you get that, like, escapism feeling. Right. Whereas with a horror movie, you kind of leave emotionally exhausted i could see that but hopefully i'll uh, introduce you to some horror movies that allow those like the fear to come from a more uh, a more natural place that's not so forced yes i just want to say those glasses on cole mm-hmm. were just like mean he like i you find out later that they were his dad's yeah. but when he first puts them on it's like, oh, you poor child. Like, <laughs> nobody should have to wear glasses like that. <laughs> so I like the glasses. And there's something else of his father's he has, too. Uh, I think it's a watch. Oh, yeah, the watch. I think they did those two things very intentionally because Cole is desperately trying to cling on to someone who left him, his mm-hmm. father. Meanwhile, there's all these other people who are trying to cling on to life. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Right. But the one person who did leave him that he wants to see doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah. Which is super sad. And it's another great part where it grounds all of this, comes back to a more um, a more relatable thing for the audience. Because, yeah, in the end, it comes back to, like, a, a family thing. Like, he just mm-hmm. wishes, wishes his dad was around. Yeah. So, Bruce Willis being dead. Oh, my God. When they revealed it, did you go back and go think, like, oh, yeah, now it makes yes, sense. Yeah. Okay. And that montage, I think, helps. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a good. That was a good selection. Um, I think, like when they're having the anniversary dinner, mm-hmm. and you find out it's anniversary, and she realized when you're first watching the scene, I didn't realize that she doesn't actually talk directly to him. No. Ever. She doesn't even really make eye contact with him. No. So there's this one part so, where she looks up into his eyes. If you watch it very carefully, but also when you're listening, someone, because we were listening to it in surround sound and somebody um, on that side of the restaurant drops a plate. So it makes a noise and then she looks up and it looks like she's looking up at him to respond to it. But it is, in fact, uh, she's looking up to see what made the noise. Oh, okay, Interesting. There's lots of really cool little things like that, like... um. There's also times where if you watch it not knowing the end, I remember getting grumpy because Bruce Willis disappears in shots. I'd be like, he should be right there. Oh, whoever's directing this really blew it there. (laughs) And then you realize that he can because he's a ghost. Yeah. So, you know, at the end. But also when um, when Haley Joel Osment reaches for the doorknob, you can see his reflection, but you don't see Bruce Willis's reflection. Oh, interesting. So if if you don't know the ending, you think like, oh, they they messed that up. And he was supposed to be like that. He also doesn't have a shadow in um, in the funeral when they go to uh, when they go to that funeral. Right. And they're outside. Yeah. Um, Oh, (laughs) the Latin verse that he when he's listening to the tapes of his former patient. Oh, the Spanish part. Was it Spanish or was it Latin? Uh, um, Cole speaks in Latin earlier in the movie, but I believe that was in Spanish because I understood it, right? Or I guess it could be rooted in... Anyways, whatever. Because they're all love languages. 
Don't they come from Latin? Yeah. Yeah, so it could be very similar romance languages. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was thinking as I was watching this, I was like, of course the Latin had to be like something super creepy. It couldn't have been like live long and flourish or like yeah. it had to be like death. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting how he always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Which then, like Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was really annoying when I was watching the movie because I was like, well, how is he always there when Cole needs him? And how is he always, like, watching his wife through the storefront window? And how does he always know exactly where he needs to be? Right, because there's nothing else to do. He's nothing he's else to do. Yeah. He's a ghost. So he can probably just, like, appear places. Yeah. And, um... And when he breaks the window, the shop window, when they're like, oh yeah, when the assistant guy and him and her are having like a moment, mm -hmm. um, when he breaks the window, I'm like, can she not see that it's him like running down the street? Because the shot like after he breaks the window and they run outside, the shop hands to him and he's only like half a block away. He's still in front of the closest like set of people. Yeah. So <laughs> I found that annoying and frustrating because I was like, okay, so she should have known. Why didn't they have a conversation about this? Because he's dead. Because he's dead. It's it's very reductive how I think people talk about the movie because they know the twist and they're like, oh yeah, that's the movie. And I think there's so much more going on. But so I also going into because I haven't seen it in such a long time mm -hmm. I thought well I know the ending now there's not going to be a lot of fun to it but there definitely is because knowing that ending I can see how things play and how they Unfold, make sense because yeah. the first time what's his Bruce Willis's character name uh, Crow Malcolm. Malcolm Malcolm is waiting for Cole Cole sees him and runs into a church yeah. He sees him and runs away because he's terrified because he's a ghost. He knows he's dead. And I assume that you can, he can see like this big bloody bullet wound on him right, too probably. Right, because he can see the injuries. Yeah. And I heard someone tell me that Cole often looks at Malcolm's belly. Like he looks at the wound a lot. I feel like he's only that tall. So. Yeah, so I didn't notice that, but I, I've, I've heard that said. But everything kind of makes sense. If you know that he's dead, there's... There's other movies where you find the twist ending and then you go back and watch it and you're like, well, then why would they do that? Why would they do that? It all just serves the plot. And this, I think, is such a tight script that it all like, lines, lines up. up great. Absolutely. I feel like there's not a lot of things that are just like extra fluff. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that really impressed me going back. How tight the script is, how well it's paced. It's mm -hmm. paced much more slowly than a, what we'd think a horror movie is today. But yeah. there's, there's nothing wasted. Like, this is a movie where uh, the screenwriter, who's Shyamalan as well, oh, okay. uh, knew exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's nothing that's superfluous. Everything goes towards this end. Yeah. Yeah. To either, um, to either building up these characters, this relationship, or to this uh, big twist ending. It all contributes to it. Yeah, I was definitely shocked. I hear he there's like a crazy amount of rewrites that he did for this one, and I think it it pays off. Um, do you want to hear some other fun stuff about the script, or do is there anything more about the reveal of the of the death? No, I think I think I've said all I can say about it. Shyamalan had done two movies before, not 
particularly successful movies. And he at one point said that he was going to write the best screenplay ever. And like he was, he's kind of a dick. Aren't like he took play, he took out a page in his own high school yearbook that was him on the cover of Time. And it says, like, NYU grad takes Hollywood by storm. High school yearbook. Yeah, he bought a page in his high school yearbook with a picture, to photoshopped a picture of himself on Time magazine. And then in uh, the year 2000, at the age of 28, he was on the cover of Time magazine being, like, claimed the next Spielberg. So, oh, wow. Like, he did it. So, like, uh, he's an egomaniac, he's but, like, yeah, he, he also did it. jerk. <laughs> yeah, he's also a very talented jerk. Yeah. So, um, this script alone was purchased for two million dollars wow which was yeah big money and it was also purchased with him to direct and upon finding this out the executives fired the guy who bought the script oh wow because they're like that's ridiculous now we have to work with a Shyamalan dude he's no good and we just spent two million dollars on the script so that guy was fired uh the movie did of course go into production Uh, Bruce Willis was put on it in a very strange way as well. He had made this movie, or he didn't make this movie, called Broadway Brawler, I think it was called. But it never actually existed because uh, during production, Willis fired the director. Either way, he... Well, he can. Bruce Willis can. Yeah. Either way, the movie was never made and Disney lost a lot of money on it. It was a Disney movie. Yeah, this is too. Is it? Yeah, kind of like... Up there, it's Disney. Well, I can't wait to go to Disney World and see the yeah, Sixth the Sixth Sense, Sense ride. <laughs> it turns you 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 go on the ride with this guy, and he, he tells you all sorts of jokes. At the end, turns out he was a ghost. <laughs> I would ride that. Yeah. I would stand in line for two hours to ride that. <laughs> uh, so the company lost a lot of money on this Broadway brawler movie. So to get out of it, Willis agreed to do uh, three movies for them. Uh, the first was Armageddon which also made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second was The Sixth Sense, and the third was The Kid, a movie that I never saw. Hmm. But So that's how Bruce Willis got onto it. Do you want to guess how what the budget was on a movie like this? Mm, $10 million. Okay, do you you don't really know how no, movie budget? I, okay, <laughs> yeah. I left my film degree at home today. <laughs> no, but, um, so it, it was a, a 55, I think, million dollar budget. Okay. Which is... Pretty average. Today, the average is probably right around $80 million. Okay, Of course, this was in uh, 99. Either way, um, it was a $55 million budget. Do you want to guess how much money it made? So if you make your budget back, usually that's what they're going for. But Right. Like $90 million? It made $673 million. What? So it was a crazy success. No kidding. Very successful movie. Made uh, more than 10 times what they spent. Again, a $55 million budget, 10 million of which went to Bruce Willis. Of course. Yeah, because he's. He How much a big did star. the kid get? I don't know about that, but this was kind of his second. He was in something before this that I can't remember now. He was the in kid? Forrest Gump. Oh. Um, Hilly Joel Osment was well, in Well, he's Gump. never really acted again, so... Yeah, he has. Has he? Oh, yeah. He, um, I can't think of them I all now, but was... you look him up on IMDb. He's definitely done stuff. Um, I, was, I assumed he was one of those child actors who, like, was in a really, like, successful movie and then yeah. never had to do anything ever again. He did more work as a child, which I think is probably the stuff he's known for best. Mm-hmm. But, like, even this year I saw him on... Um, uh, and what's the Camille Nanjiani Martin Starr 
tech company. Oh, uh, Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. He was on Silicon Valley. But anyways, yeah, so he still does stuff. But oh. the movie was incredibly successful. Also, in the year 2000, it was rented 80 million times on VHS and DVD. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a big rental movie. Oh, remember when we used to rent movies? I do. I love renting movies. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I rented this at some point, actually. I enjoyed going to the store and, like... Yeah, you just kind of look at everything. the racks and, like, that kind of thing. I, I still enjoy shopping that way, where you just go look at everything and read the backs of stuff and, like... That's when the cover art of DVDs and VHSs mattered so much because you'd go there and you'd pick stuff based on the cover. Yeah, it's like packaging now. You want the, like, coolest looking thing. I was impressed by polka dots on a chip bag today, so... That's true. Clearly, I'm the target demographic for that. We were talking earlier about uh, color in this movie and Shyamalan was, uh, I think, pretty heavy-handed with it in this one, but still it was subtle enough. So there was a lot of red. Yes. And I think when we first started watching it, there's the red doorknob to go down to the basement. Mm-hmm. And I think I said out loud, oh, red doorknob, that can't be good. Yeah. And then I said, mm, red, huh? Pay mm-hmm. attention, wink, wink, nonchalant. But Cole wears a red sweater. Mm-hmm. There's a red balloon. Mm-hmm. Do you know, what do you think the red's about? like a spooky color <laughs> yeah it's a spooky color <laughs> so at first watching it i was like oh so right before when we see something red that means like the next character introduced is actually dead that's what i thought at first oh that's and a, that's a fair hypothesis it didn't hold up as i kept going and i was trying to link it because it's like so there's always something like something ghostly with the red and then um apparently Shyamalan is just straight up said like oh anything affected by the spirit world is red so I thought okay. I was all clever working the stuff out, but he just says it too. Well, like the doorknob, you like he can't get into the basement. Well, he's only in the basement for the most part. He's down there looking at records and stuff, and he always has a hard time getting in. But he can't get in at the end because there's a table in front of it now, but he can't see the table because he hasn't uh, realized that change in the world. Right. And he sees it after yeah. he realizes. So I'd say, like, the basement is kind of his area. That's where he haunts. Right. When he comes in, he usually goes right down to the basement because that also shows, like, that's where he, what was wrong with his relationship. He was doing all that work, not paying as much attention to her, perhaps. And now in his death, he's still doing that and he's, he's haunting the basement. And then with um, Cole wears red a good amount because, yeah, he's more affected than anyone else. Like he is the spirit world. Yeah. <laughs> he's the connection. Uh, the one that I liked, which may have just been accidental, but how vibrant the red is mm-hmm. usually means how touch or it has more of an angry spirit. But at um, the scene where he's uh, listening to the recording of uh, the Spanish speaker. Right. The louder he turns up the the volume, the numbers go from white to red. I like that little one. Oh, that yeah. My, would, it may have been a coincidence, but I still think it works. I feel like that's a very standard thing on those kind of like yeah. players. Yeah. Because loud is red. But they made a point of showing it, yes. right? Which they could have just done through audio. No, absolutely. I um. I think that it was light enough that you don't lose anything in the movie if you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. But also, if you are watching the movie and you notice all the red, you're going to, like, really get something extra out of it. Yeah. And, of course, like, his um, his little fort was red. 
the only other thing oh, is... Oh, yeah, the fort was red blanket. Of course. That's right. So that, that's another thing, a little theme that I saw was there was kind of an idea of... Um, of sanctuary almost mm-hmm. the first time we see cole running away from malcolm he's running into a church to to get sanctuary and like a red and black door which of course has a red door and yeah. um malcolm even talks about how people used to come to the churches for sanctuary and that's what cole had been doing to this point because he was hiding there and but now he can't anymore because malcolm has kind of infiltrated that right. sanctuary and Cole even says to him, like, I'm going to be seeing you a lot more, aren't I? Yeah. Which at the time you think of because he's a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but now you're like, oh, no, this ghost isn't going away. He's, his he's mom's, like, hired around. him. Yeah. Oh, that's see. And then his next sanctuary is the, um, the fort. Mm-hmm. And he goes in there to, to get some solace. But then we see the, the Misha Barton character appears in the fort. And she yes. does that. There's that one little jump scare where she vomits. So now he doesn't have that place either. And I would argue like the last, his final one is within his mom when he finally tells her uh, what's been going on with his yes. life. Well, and I- they hug in that scene, which maybe I cried during, but <laughs> it was, oh, that scene's so good. It's a good scene. Yeah. And, and she really accepts him for who he is. Yeah. But uh, I guess the mom has red hair. Oh, yeah. Mom has red nails for most of the movie. But I think she's affected less. Because mm-hmm. she's wearing like green. She has that one orangey sweater. Yeah. I think the um, the in that same scene, there's a cyclist whose like head kind of got smashed in. Isn't her helmet red too? I think so. Yeah. Because that's that's affected by the spirit world because it didn't work and now she's dead. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. Poor cyclist. Can we talk about the Misha Barton character for a second? Sure. So that was one of the big like scares for me is when she like sticks her hand out oh from under the bed from under the hospital bed mm-hmm. and then she's just like sitting there and you're like she's a pretty pathetic looking character yeah. but at the same time that like that got me i was scared yeah that was good she has a small part but you remember it mm-hmm. the whole um what's it called munkhausen by proxy oh my god yeah yeah so we should yeah i uh I had never really seen it in action. Mm-hmm. And one of the podcasts that you and I listened to, I skipped ahead because they were talking about The Sixth Sense, so I didn't want to hear any of it. Oh, on Stuff You Should Know. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. But Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, like, the Munchausen, um, I, like, I'd heard about it, and there's like that famous case of like Gypsy Rose and her mother and everything, and... Um, like the idea of keeping a child sick is just so incredibly like hurtful. Yeah, and if you don't know, uh, Munchausen is a uh, disorder, I guess, where people make themselves sick for essentially for attention. There's it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, for the attention and the the like feeling of having people worried about you. Yeah, and then Munchausen by proxy was what happened in this case is that she was making her daughter sick in order for for that attention. Yes. And so that she had more control over her daughter. Yeah. And then she's going to go on to do it to her, the youngest daughter. The youngest next, daughter, which is yeah. very scary. Yeah. But yes, I'm glad that uh, that Cole was able to, like, help the uh, the dad find out yeah. about the mom. Do you find um, the switch in Cole when he's like, okay, I know what I need to do now. I need to start helping people. And he, like does that and find some some peace that way did it work for you i thought it was a little fast 
Yeah, I think I if I like... could be any nitpicky about anything in the script, it did feel like that a little. Because it was like, snap, all of a sudden he was totally different. Yeah. And I feel like there should have been like a failed attempt or two. Or oh, like, maybe, yeah. Like just kind of to ease it in because it's kind of like saying, oh, all of a sudden he didn't care about being scared anymore. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he was really good at talking to ghosts. Or it could be that this is the first step only. It's not mm-hmm. like he's... He's healed, but he's on his way. And I think if you look at it that way, it doesn't seem so. Uh, it doesn't seem so quick then. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if it happens at right at that point. But do you remember the play, the second play where um, Cole is like the the hero, right? So he's King Arthur, and he pulls the the sword from the mm-hmm. stone, and then afterwards he continues to have this stone, um, the sword. So I thought that was kind of. Uh, emphasizing that too like he has this new power now and he's he's willing to wield it yeah so maybe we didn't get to see him have like a failed attempt but we're it's getting underscored in his his social life he's getting some acceptance now with with the kids he's all laughing with them the one kid that bullies him has a has a shitty role yeah that was good he was in like a cough syrup commercial yeah he was in a cough syrup commercial and then he's just like a he's that asshole actor kid hand or something yes. in, in the play and cole gets to be like who's it lancelot uh king arthur king arthur yeah um but yeah so i think that that was a cool like his life starts to turn around but i i found it very abrupt so overall uh Haley joel osmond how'd you like him i liked him a lot he's very good for a child actor like you have to remember how young he is yeah he's i think I think he was older than we think he is. He I think like he was kid. like 11 playing a nine-year-old. Right. Somewhere right around there. But at least. still, that's He's great. very young. For the amount of responsibility and the amount of like screen time he would have had to film, mm-hmm. I feel like he did a really good job. There's never a part where you feel like he's a child and he's just annoyed by the fact that he has to do this. Yeah. Michael Sarah tells the story a lot more these days. So Michael Sarah auditioned for the part really? of Cole Sear. Oh, see, I can't see it. That's one thing. Also, if I there's something I don't like, his name's Cole Sear. He sees things. We get it, Shyamalan. Oh, You're not that clever. He's beating it over the head. But anyways, um, yeah. So Michael Sarah auditioned for this, but because it's kind of a, a horror movie, he hadn't read the whole thing. He just read his scene. So he came in and was playing it like, oh, hey, how's it going? And he just played it like a comedy. Oh, yeah. So, of course, he, he didn't get it. No. Um, I, I guess when uh, when Haley Joel Osment went in for it, he, told, he did a, a great reading. And he was also the only boy to show up wearing like a suit and tie. Oh. And Shaman was like, this kid, he's, he's he like going to put in the work. Yeah. And uh, he said... He he knew everything really well, and Shyamalan was saying, like, oh, you you know all this very well. And he said, yeah, I've read it three times. And they said, oh, you read your part three times? Said, no, I read, read the script three times last night. So he read the whole script, got, like, a feel of it, and came to his own conclusions that, like, this is a, a movie about communication. It's not, mm. a, it's not a horror movie. And yeah. he played it just like that. He's like a small adult. He is exactly like a small adult. And I think that's what works so well. You know how there's a lot of kids, not maybe not a lot, but who act more like adults and there's like a, they have a sort of like quiet wisdom to them almost. And he had that. So I guess his father also said that he, he doesn't talk to children really. As a kid, Haley Joel Osment didn't really hang out with a lot of kids. Oh. He spoke as an adult, and his father always addressed him. Like, he never did baby talk or dumb things he down. He just talked to him like, he talked a, to him like an like adult. An equal. 
And uh, the character of Cole Sear definitely is like that too. So maybe that's why he was so good at it. He has a little bit of that himself. Yeah. Because I'm really tired of... You see it a lot in comedies too where there's a child character who's just so like wise beyond their years Mm -hmm. but like precocious and witty about it. Yeah. Like where are you getting all these genius kids from? Yeah. But he's very much a kid but a kid who has has something wrong with him. Yeah. And that's exactly what the character needed. So I think it it worked very well. He was a very good choice. I can't imagine like, and maybe it's because I'm now imagining Michael Sarah from like Arrested Development. (laughs) But I can't see him playing this role. No, because he's like too, like even when he's serious, he's hilarious. He's like goofy and jokey all the time. Yeah. Serious or not. So any uh, last thoughts? I really want to know if you feel like the movie held up. I was worried about it. And at parts watching it, I do feel it's dated. Not in the sense that it doesn't hold up, but it's very much of its time. Right. The pacing is significantly slower than a lot of things we see now, but I think it's still very well paced. You only checked your phone six times during this. Oh my this? god. <laughs> so it must be pretty good if you <laughs> it, it held your attention for that long. But I think it holds up. And most importantly, I think it holds up for ways that we don't remember it for. We don't remember these relationships between the characters. We remember the jump scares. We remember the twist ending. Right. And I think you're doing a disservice to the movie if that's those are the only things you look at. No, it's true. There were a lot of really good things in this movie. And I feel like I will remember more than just the I see dead people walking around. Yeah. Like regular people. In the end... Yes, I love this. Um, do you love it too? I do. Ooh. You've, you've, yeah. I uh, had no expectations going in, other than knowing it was a horror movie, and I think it it really stood up for me. And even then, is it really a horror movie? No, I'd say it's a drama. Yeah, it's a drama more than anything. It's and a drama about scary things, yes. but it's not. It's not a horror horror movie. Yeah. So there you go. Two recommendations for The Sixth Sense. Go see it now. I mean, we've already ruined it for them, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go see it before you started listening to this like an hour ago. Um, I think everyone needs to go back and rewatch it. Yeah. I think probably most of the people listening to this have seen it. Watch it again. Yeah. It's um, it's very good. Knowing the twist and everything, I feel like I want to rewatch it just because... There's moments that I feel like I missed not knowing that they were important. It's worth seeing a second mm-hmm. time. It, it holds up very well. Maybe in 10 years, I'll see it again. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our Sixth Sense episode. Uh, this episode was brought to you by Nightmare Island 2, Hookface's Revenge. Mm, the maniacal one. hook-handed killer is back, and this time he wants revenge. <laughs> uh, coming to DVD and perhaps some streaming services near you. And if people want to uh, reach out to us, tell us what you think of The Sixth Sense, how much you love it or disagree with everything we said, uh, let us know. How can they let us know? Uh, you can email us how much you love this at I love this, you should, and the number two, at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at I-L-T-Y-S-2. You can Facebook us at I love this, you should, too, dash podcast. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you and all your thoughts on The Sixth Sense. Until next time, I loved this. I hope you did, too. (laughs) Good night. Or good morning. We don't know where you are.